0: they are up there is not to entertain or to perform for us they are up there to accompany those of us who are sitting out here because worship is something that we all do together and so uh in, in a sense you could think of it like this you are the choir and they are your accompaniment and so uh, if you think of it that way then worship is something that we all do together and so thank you worship team for that and i love Hearing you sing and hearing you worship, uh, that is one of my uh, all-time favorite things to participate in and to hear. Um, We have, uh, you may know or may not know, this week on Thursday, uh, Camp Barnabas work team is headed out. And so this is something that the men's ministry at Lakeview Church has put together, a work project for Camp Barnabas. They go down every fall, I think, and uh, some guys will go down and They'll be working to uh, fix things, to uh, build new things, to fix what's been broken and that kind of thing. And so that that work team leaves this Thursday. And I wonder if you're on that team, if you're headed down to the Camp Barnabas work, uh, work weekend, would you mind just to stand? I want to pray for you. If you guys could stand up. Uh, thank you to the men's ministry team for organizing this. Let's pray for it. There's a, uh, some other guys that are going that aren't here this morning, but let, let me pray for you. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would be with this work team, that you would uh, give them safe travel down to Camp Barnabas in southern Missouri, that they would uh, be able to do the work that is needed. Um, And I'm thankful that we have a group of people from Lakeview Church that is willing to put in the time uh, to put in the work and to use the skills and the talents that you've blessed them with to bless Camp Barnabas. Uh, And God, I just pray, again, for safety in their journey, and in their travels, I pray that you would give them opportunities <clears throat> not to just serve the people at Camp Barnabas, but also to learn more about you and the gospel in doing that act of service. So we pray for them. We commission them this morning. Uh, we send them down uh, this weekend. And with your blessing and with ours, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks for doing that. Uh, when I was younger, I had an a older man that, wasn a uh, good friend of mine he was some something of a mentor in the very short time that I knew him. His name was willard Baker, and he was a man 's man you know uh, he was in his sixties and he would go out and roof houses all day and he He was just like strong and uh, when I first started drinking coffee he would he would say don't don 't put any cream and sugar in that that 's training wheels on your coffee you know it was just he was just kind of that guy that every young uh, adult male want, looks up to, wants to be like someday. He had a, an amazing faith in Christ and he had an amazing testimony. And he just was one of those guys that is so impactful. Uh, and Willard was, he, like I said, he was very strong. He was a construction guy. He had retired from the construction business, but he did a lot of uh, volunteer work for people in our Church And he would put new roofs on widows' houses and things like that and not charge anything. And uh, one day, while he was in a restaurant, Willard collapsed, and he had a seizure. And they rushed him to the hospital, and they found out that he had uh, this massive tumor growing in his brain. Uh, He had no idea that he was sick. And within just a few months, he was dead. He had passed away, and he was at home with the Lord. Because he had this tumor in his brain that he had no idea even existed. It didn't present any symptoms that would have caused him to check it out or to look into it or discover what was going on. And then by the time that he discovered, it was too late and he had passed away. And I just wonder, have you ever been sick and didn't know it? Have you ever been sick and didn't realize you were sick until... It got really bad, and and then you finally went to the doctor and discovered, oh, yeah, I'm really, really sick with this or or that. Uh, Or if you're like me, sometimes uh, I'm sick, but I don't want to admit that I'm sick, right? Because if I admit that I'm sick, then I can't do this or that or this other thing, so I'm just going to try to push through it. But then most men, you know, when we finally do admit we're sick, we're like the biggest babies about it. We lay on the couch all day, and can you bring me a Kleenex? My nose is stuffy, and... Right. So have you ever been sick and didn't know it? Or have you ever been sick and didn't really want to admit that you were sick? Or let's change gears a little bit. Think about it from a a spiritual perspective. Uh, Have you ever been unaware of or unwilling to admit your sin sickness? Like if, if sin is like a cancer in the soul. Are you infected? Have you ever been willing to admit that you're infected? Sometimes in church, in church land, we hear so many sensational testimonies about what God has saved somebody out of. Drug addiction, uh, alcohol abuse, addiction to pornography, um, sexual addiction, you know, uh, abuse of of any kind of sort. And we, we hear all these really sensational testimonies about how God has taken somebody out of that mess and and brought them, and changed them, and transformed them. And sometimes we think the people who really need Jesus are the people who present a certain kind of lifestyle, uh, drinking too much, doing drugs, sleeping around too much. Those are the people that really need Jesus to come and save them. They really need the grace of Christ. And, And sometimes those of us who grew up in church have a hard time seeing our own sickness, right? Sometimes we we have a hard time acknowledging our own sin and our own failure, and it's easy for us to see everybody else's sin. And then we can look at our own clean record and feel like, oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty healthy. Sure, I'm, I'm doing all right. We can see everybody else's mistakes and overlook our own depravity. I found that to be true in my life a lot. Because I grew up in church, and that's just <laughs> something that we tend to struggle with if you've been around church for any length of time. This morning, we are in the Gospel of Mark, continuing our series in Mark's Gospel, and the story that we're going to look at today really challenges us with that question. Are you healthy or are you sick? In many ways, the story of uh, today's story it is a parallel story to the, the one we looked at last week. So last week, we looked at the story of the leper that Jesus healed. This week, we're going to look at the story of Levi, the tax collector turned disciple. And these stories run along parallel lines in Mark's gospel. See the story of the leper, the leper was unclean. The tax collector was unrighteous. The leper was a social outcast. The tax collector was a spiritual outcast. Both men were excluded. In both stories, Jesus broke the rules. He did what he wasn't supposed to do. He touched the leper and he ate with the tax collector. The story of the leper is a story about social justice. The story of the leper, or the story of the tax collector, is a story about moral justice. These stories have a lot of similarities. They run down parallel lines, but yet each story gives us a unique lesson. See, the story of the leper is a call to everybody who understands their own uncleanness. The story of the leper reaches out to those who feel defiled, who feel dirty, who know they're not worthy to come into the presence of the king. And the story of the leper says, no, 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 the king wants to include you. The king wants to heal you and cleanse you and accept you and love you. The story of the tax collector is a call To the religious people, to the people who don't have a sketchy past, to the the people who aren't full of sensational testimonies about being rescued out of drug addiction and alcohol abuse and all these things. The story of the, the tax collector forces us to ask the question, am I healthy or am I sick? See, everybody knew that the leper was unclean. The leper's defilement was external. It was on the outside. It was visible for all the world to see. And everybody knew that Levi, the tax collector, was a disgusting sinner. He hung around with prostitutes and other unrighteous ilk. Everybody knew that the leper needed to be healed and cleansed. And everybody knew that Levi needed to repent. And he needed God to step in and save him. But this story that we're going to look at in Mark's gospel today, shows us a third kind of person. It shows us the religious person who doesn't realize they're sick. It shows us the religious person who doesn't see their own sin and doesn't see their need for a Savior. And it challenges us to self-examine and acknowledge that we all need Jesus. That's what Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 is about. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we will be following along. I have the Bible on my phone. Uh, I like that because I've got about 100 million different versions of the Bible and translations and everything on my phone. So I'm going to read that uh, while we look at this text together. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. So Jesus is doing ministry in the northern part of Israel. And he is uh, healing people, casting demons out of the demon-possessed. He's teaching and preaching in synagogues and in homes. And he's out in this northern part of Israel called Galilee. And there's a huge lake and inland sea the sea of galilee and jesus liked to go to the sea to the lake and do ministry there and preach there because lots of people would gather at the sea of galilee it was a a major area for business for uh, lots of traffic lots of people and jesus would go out beside the lake once again jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them as he walked along he saw levi Son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, it's easy for us to sort of gloss over that. Uh, What's the the big deal? He sees a tax collector. Follow me, right? If you've ever been audited by the IRS, you might have a little bit closer idea of what, what this experience was like. But in that day, tax collectors were hated. I mean, hated. They were recognized by all the Jews as the worst sinners imaginable. In fact, tax collectors were ostracized, spiritual outcasts, and many Jews thought that tax collectors were too far into sin to even be saved. It was impossible for them to even repent and come to God because they were so disgusting, sinners, nasty, let's stay away from them see, tax collectors were Roman sympathizers. The the Jews and Jerusalem and all of Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And one of the things the Roman Empire was great at was collecting taxes. So what would happen is, uh, let's. Jesus was on the shore and he's at the docks and there's a tax booth and Levi, the tax collector, is sitting there. But what happened is you would be all night out fishing on the lake because fishing was your livelihood. And you'd pull in in the morning and you'd Get out on the dock and you'd be hauling your fish to the shore because you're going to take them to the marketplace and sell them, and that's how you're going to earn your living. And Levi, the tax collector, would be standing at the end of the dock saying, Pay up, give me your cut. And you would have to give him a certain portion of the fish that you caught. So nobody likes to pay taxes, but it was particularly bad because. The way that tax collectors got paid is by collecting more taxes than what was owed. So they would say, um, let's, let's translate this into modern day. Let's say that you owed $100 in taxes. Levi would charge you $150. And then he would give the $100 on to King Herod and on to the Roman Empire. And then he would take the other 50 and put it in his pocket. And that's how tax collectors earned their money. But there were no regulations about how much tax collectors could overcharge you. They could charge you as much as they wanted. You owe $100 in tax. Levi might just charge you $300 and keep the other 200 for himself. They extorted the people. And you had to pay the taxes. Because if you didn't, Levi could call his Roman buddies and they would send soldiers to your house to shake you down and collect the taxes. So everybody hated tax collectors. Everybody hated Levi. Can you imagine his dad, Alphaeus, knowing that his son is a disgusting, dirty, sinner, tax collector who hangs out with prostitutes and other gross, disgusting people? He hangs out with those kind of people, right? Jesus is on the lake, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's walking along, and he sees Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth and he says, follow me, follow me. And Levi gets up and follows Jesus. He leaves behind his whole world. He quits his job. He, he quits everything that he knows. He, he steps away from it, turns around from it and starts to follow Jesus. Story picks up verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples for there were many who followed him when the teachers of the law who were pharisees saw him eating with the tax with the sinners and tax collectors they asked his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners so it's not just that jesus calls levi to repent and follow him now some people might say okay at least he's trying to to do something good with this degenerate sinner, right? Some people might say that, but Jesus takes it a step further. He, again, breaks the rules. He actually goes into Levi's house and eats dinner with him. Not just with Levi, but with lots of tax collectors and lots of sinners. You can bet there were people who were prostitutes eating there. You can bet there were people who were in incestuous relationships with family members who were there. You can bet that there were idol worshipers there. You can bet that all of the disgusting sinner, those kind of people, were there. And Jesus is eating with them. Now, in our day, eating a meal with somebody isn't really a big deal. Even a lot of families no longer eat together unless it's in front of the television set, right? So, We don't see a lot of the significance of this, but in that day, to eat a meal with somebody was like the ultimate sign of hospitality and acceptance. It was was identifying with that person. So for Jesus, a quote-unquote religious teacher, a good moral teacher, someone who is proclaiming the kingdom of God, for Jesus to actually go into a house and eat with, disgusting reprobate degenerate sinners is like the worst thing imaginable how could anybody who claims to be a good moral person associate with those people how could he do that and still claim to be a good moral person this would be like this would be like a jew inviting a muslim into their home to share a meal together doesn't happen they're at odds with each other they hate each other this is what jesus did does he goes into levi's house and he eats with levi and many tax collectors and sinners who were also becoming his disciples who were following him so the pharisees the the experts the teachers in the law the pharisees they were the religious leaders of that day they were the religious people right they were the ones who Knew all the Bible and could quote you Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. And they had scriptures painted on the walls all over their houses. And they, and they had Jesus fish. Like if they were modern day, they would have Jesus fish on the back of their car. And they'd have Christian radio on all the time. And, and they walk around using big Christian words to impress everybody with all their knowledge, you know. And, and pre-tribulation, blah, blah, whatever that means. And, and this is what the Pharisees were. And so... They were experts in Scripture, teachers of the law, and they were Pharisees. And the word Pharisee means separatist because they separated themselves from the evil world around them. They were not going to let themselves be stained and polluted by the sin of the world because they were going to stand at a distance and hold people off. And they, weren't, they were never, ever, would they in a million years have ever associated with people like Levi with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with sinners. So they are completely flabbergasted by what Jesus is doing. Here's this good moral teacher, and now he's associating with sinners. How can he do this? And and they ask the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus says, look, I came to seek and save the lost. So how can I seek and save the lost if I do everything I can to avoid the lost? I came to save the sinner. So how can I save sinners if I never go talk to sinners? How can I bring healing if I never go to sick people? How can I raise the dead to life If I never go to the place where a person has died, if I never speak to that dead person like Lazarus and call them back to life out of the grave, Jesus did those things because that's what he came to do. The the Pharisees are, how can he be a good moral teacher and associate with sinners? And Jesus says, how can I be a savior and not associate with sinners? That's what I came to do. And, And the big idea of this little story, these four verses, the big idea is this. Jesus eats with sinners because they are who he came to save. He associates with the unrighteous because they're the ones, the unrighteous ones. Those are the ones that Jesus is calling to follow him. And this is exactly the opposite, right? This is exactly the opposite. Everybody thinks Jesus is a good religious teacher. He's going to go to the good religious people and get them all stirred up and and help them be more good and more religious, And Jesus says, no, I didn't come for the good religious people. I came for the sinners. I came for the tax collectors. I came for the drug dealers and the prostitutes. I came for the magicians. I came for the Wiccans. I came for whoever, fill in the blank. Those kind of people. That's who I came to save. And if I'm going to save them, I have to go out to them. Jesus eats with sinners because they are who he came to save. That's the big idea in this story. And I I think there are a few implications that we can take from this to apply to our lives. First thing, good news. Jesus eats with sinners. Let's not like blow past that point. This is good news. Jesus eats with sinners. He associates with and identifies with the unrighteous. Jesus does what he's not supposed to do. He breaks the rules. See, he turns the world's system on its head because religious people, religious people say, I will associate you with you if you do these things. I will include you if you turn away from your immoral lifestyle. If you clean yourself up, if you start living by my rules, then you can have a place at my table. You've got to earn it. You've got to clean yourself up. You've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you know what? You're probably so depraved, you'll never do that. So guess what? I'm writing you off because I don't want to be polluted by your depravity. That's the way the religious world works. But Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Let's turn that upside down. Good news. Jesus eats with sinners. He associates with the unrighteous. He doesn't say that as long as you're a degenerate sinner, I'll have nothing to do with you. He reaches out to them even before they've repented. That's the scandal of this story. Jesus doesn't wait for them to do anything to make themselves worthy of his attention. He reaches out to them first. He takes the initiative to them. And and religious people tend not to do that. We tend to be like the Pharisees and separate from. That's exactly what how i was when i was growing up i grew up in a a church that was essentially a a modern day pharisee church we had a whole list of rules that would have made the pharisees proud and and we were separatists in fact we used to talk about degrees of separation how many degrees of separation so in the church i grew up in it was like the most despicable disgusting unholy sin ever in the whole world to have a drink of alcohol that was like if you drank one drink of alcohol you were practically so far in hell that no one could pull you out that was like one of the worst things you could ever even imagine is to have somebody have a drink of alcohol but i had a pastor tell me one time if somebody is driving by your house and they throw an empty beer can in your yard and you go pick up the beer can to throw it away out of your yard You've just lost your salvation, and you've just sinned because you touched a container that used to have alcohol in it. And you can't touch an empty beer can because that's going to defile you and pollute you with the sin of the world. And when you smell the alcohol, you're probably going to be addicted like that, and you're become an alcoholic tomorrow. Right? That's the kind of church I grew up in. So, so when you're really good at keeping the rules, guess what you do? You look down your nose... At people who don't keep the rules as good as you and when you when you want to justify yourself and you when you want to say uh um i'm not that bad of a person what do you do you look at everybody else's sin and you say well i'm not as bad as that person well i haven't done that well i'm not as bad as that person oh well well that person doesn't keep the rules as good as i do aren't i aren't i special aren't i holy aren't i wonderful I don't have this addiction or this addiction or this addiction or this addiction so I must be healthy I must be good those poor reprobate sinners uh, you know I'm I'm so glad I'm not like them that's the attitude that you have when you grow up in that kind of environment and that's how religious people are they they separate themselves but the the, the thing is good news Jesus isn't a religious person Jesus eats with sinners he reaches out to the people that everyone else rejects. So, so a couple of things of application, just just right here. Number one, if you if you're struggling with sin, if you feel like a degenerate sinner, if you feel like if if you would say, if you only knew what I have done, you would not even let me in your church today. If you feel like you're sitting there and you're kind of looking up, waiting for the lightning to fall, and you keep moving back and forth, so you know moving targets harder to hit right? If, if that's the way you feel, no matter what sin you have in your past, no matter what sin you're currently struggling with, guess what? Jesus is here for you. Jesus eats with sinners. He associates with the unrighteous. He is here for you. Whatever you did this morning on your way to church, whatever you looked at on your phone last night, Whatever you have done, whatever you're struggling with, whatever addiction you're fighting or have fought, whatever you have in your past, no matter how sketchy your past is, Jesus is here for you. And he's saying, come on, follow me. Follow me. Jesus eats with sinners. The other, the other thing I think we can apply right here is let's not look down our nose at people who sin differently than we do. I grew up in that very legalistic very rules-oriented, how-many-degrees-of-separation type church, and I tended to look down my nose at people who sinned differently than I do because I didn't recognize my own sin. But the reality is, and the more that I learned about Christ and the more that I learned about the gospel as I studied the Bible, I discovered, guess what? I may not sin the same way that that person does. Their sin might be more visible. might be more external. It might be more easily seen by those around them, but I have sin that is hidden. I have sin that hides itself behind church and rules and Bible. I have sin that that is harder to detect because it hides itself in religion. And so once i figured out the depths of my own depravity, how in the world can I look down my nose at somebody else? Their sin is different than mine. But my sin is sin. (laughs) If sin is a cancer of the soul, they're infected, I'm infected. We're in the same place. We both need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So let's not look down our nose at those who sin differently than we do because Jesus eats with, associates with, identifies with sinners. Second implication, I think, from this story, Jesus loves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you as you are. Jesus meets you where you are, and then he invites you to follow him to where he wants you to be. Jesus is not like a lot of Christians today. See, many Christians today tend to either be legalistic separatists, fundamentalists like the Pharisees, or liberal, wishy-washy believers who don't Uh, call people to repentance who condone the sin who who fail to see it like a lot of mainline protestant denominations have become and and jesus is not like either one of those he's not legalistic and he's not liberal jesus never condones the sin he never condones the sin he never says it's okay for you to stay in sin but neither does he shun the sinner No, Jesus goes to where the sick people are and offers healing. Jesus goes to where the sinner is and offers forgiveness. He meets you where you are and then calls you to follow him where he wants you to be. And when Jesus went to to Levi, the tax collector, and said, follow me. Levi's response was immediate. Got up, left everything, followed Jesus, left his job. Left some of his friends, left his social circles, left everything to follow Jesus. It was complete, it was total. This command to follow me is Jesus' primary call. Remember the first words that Jesus says in Mark's gospel The time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus' entire ministry is about. And when he says, follow me, this is what he's talking about. I love the way the Pillar New Testament commentary put it. In Mark, following is a load-bearing term. A load-bearing term that describes the proper response of faith and indeed is practically synonymous with faith. Following is an act that involves risk and cost. It is something one does, not simply what one thinks or believes. Levi Risked everything. It cost him everything. Yes, God's grace is freely given, but it, at the same time, it will cost you your life because Jesus says it's all or nothing. There is no in between. You can't straddle the fence with Jesus. Either you're all in, you're following him, you're turning away from your sin, or you're not. There's no gray area with Jesus. It's all in or all out. When he says follow me, he means. Turn away and follow me and be ready for total life transformation. Every single part of your life will be changed because you're following Jesus. Another friend that I have uh, is a guy named Milt. Milt's an older guy. And when I started being the worship arts pastor at my last church, Pineac Bible Church, Milt was the drummer. And so I began to get to know him. He was one of the elders at the church. He was a drummer and he was a, a wonderful guy. And he has one of those sensational testimonies. Milt did not grow up in church. He didn't grow up singing the old hymns. He didn't grow up with the church traditions. He, has, he had no idea who Jesus was, knew nothing about Jesus all throughout his growing up years and his early adult years. And Milt was a hippie when the hippie movement was like all in swing. He was a full on total hippie. He's dropped acid. He smoked all kinds of weed. Uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and that was his creed in life, And, and he lived in a tent, and he didn't have a job, and he was just, this is who he was, right? He was a hippie that didn't know anything about Jesus. And Milt got saved as a young adult because somebody had the courage to do what Jesus did, to walk into his hippie compound, to climb into Milt's tent, to sit across from him while he was smoking weed and share the gospel with him. Somebody had the courage to go, to boldly go where no Christian has gone before (laughs) and to share the gospel with Milt. And Milt got saved. And his transformation was not immediate. He was rough around the edges. The first day he pulled up to Pontiac Bible Church, it was in the the early 80s, and he rode in on full uh, leather tattoos, Harley Davidson Rides up, you know, and he goes into this church where everybody's wearing a suit and a tie and they're all proper and, you know, the men are all clean shaven and milt has got this big old bushy beard and, and he pulls in and he, and he walks in and the people loved him. They accepted him. They welcomed him. He joined a small group. He started studying the Bible. God began to work on him and transform his life and, and work his drug habits out of him and, and help him get rid of his alcoholism and help him get rid of, his, uh, of all that stuff. And, and over time, Milt became a volunteer in student ministry, and he mentored hundreds of teenagers. And He became an elder at the church, and he started playing drums in the worship team, and, and he was just an all-around amazing man. And the, the reason that what he'll tell you today is nothing in his life today is the way it used to be before Jesus. Every single part of his life has been transformed. That's what Jesus' call is, total life transformation. There's a great quote by uh, a scholar named Abraham Kuiper, and it's there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus will meet you where you are, but he will not allow you to stay where you are. He never condones the sin. Some people say they believe in Jesus, but they don't really allow that faith to impact their lives. They might play the church game. They might do the church thing. But, but when it comes to the, where the rubber meets the road, Jesus hasn't really left much of an impact on them. And, and Jesus is saying, no, that's not following me. Every part of your life, every area of your life, every aspect of your life will change when you follow Jesus because Jesus is going to be king over all of your life. Not just part of your life, over all of your life. That's what Jesus does. He loves you as you are. He doesn't make you clean yourself up first. He loves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you as you are. Third implication from this story. Jesus asks this question. Are you healthy or sick? Are you righteous or a sinner? When when Jesus answers the Pharisees, You know, they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. When Jesus answers that question, it is an implied challenge to the Pharisees. Everybody knows Levi is a sinner. He's a tax collector. Everybody knows he's a sinner. What about the Pharisees? Are they sinners? Jesus has come to save the sinner. Has he come to save the Pharisees? Do they understand their need for Jesus? Everybody knows Levi needs a Savior, but do the religious, church-going, conservative, rule-keeping, educated experts in Scripture, do they need a Savior? Are they healthy or are they sick? If sin is like a cancer of the soul, are they infected? Jesus' answer is a challenge for them to examine themselves. And the the sad irony of this story, the Pharisees needed Jesus just as much as the tax collector did. Their souls were infected with with sin just as much as Levi and his his tax-collecting friends were. But where Levi understood his depravity and responded to Jesus by getting up turning from his sin and following Christ, the Pharisees didn't see their sin sickness. They didn't leave their legalistic religious ways behind to follow Jesus, to to walk in the grace of the gospel. They didn't respond to Jesus by following him because they didn't realize that they needed him. My friend Willard, the cancer that was in his brain killed him Because he didn't know that he had that infection. He didn't know that he had that disease. He didn't get it treated in time, and he died from it. The Pharisees had cancer of the soul called sin, but they didn't know it. They were looking for the symptoms of an immoral life, but they didn't have those symptoms. Their lives did not look like Levi's life. Their lives didn't look like his friend's lives. They didn't have the same symptoms of an immoral life, so they assumed that they were healthy. Jesus came to heal not just the physically sick people like the leper, but the spiritually sick people like Levi. But the thing is, if you don't realize you're sick, you don't go to the doctor. If you don't realize you're a sinner, you won't come to the Savior. And the truth is, all of us are infected with sin. All of us. All of us. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you've never been a drug head. I don't care if you've never touched a drop of alcohol in your whole life or been an alcoholic. I don't care if you've never had a sexual addiction or you didn't sleep around too much in high school or you didn't do this or you didn't do this. or you'd. It doesn't matter if you uh, sing with the worship team or put money in the offering plate or volunteer in children's ministry. All of us are infected with sin and all of us need to be healed by Christ. We need to be forgiven. See, Jesus is a new kind of king. And he's building a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom of the redeemed, a community of the forgiven. And in order to join his kingdom and to belong to his community, you have to be forgiven. But in order to be forgiven, you have to have something that you can be forgiven of. And all of us do. The question is, do you see it? The challenge that Jesus gave to the Pharisees is the challenge that we have this morning. How will you respond? Will you acknowledge your sin? Will you turn from the world to follow Jesus? The only way into the kingdom of heaven is through the door of forgiveness. Will you be forgiven? Will you acknowledge and admit that you're sin, that you're a sinner? Jesus healed the leper and reached out to the people who know they're sinners. Jesus called Levi and challenged the people who are religious. So whether you know you're a sinner or whether you've played the church game your whole life, the question is this, are you healthy or are you sick? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word. I'm thankful that Jesus is the kind of king who breaks the rules, who touches people that aren't supposed to be touched, who includes people who aren't supposed to be included. And I'm thankful that we can come to you without having to clean ourselves up, without having to to do better, to be better, but that you eat with and associate with us in our depravity and in our sin. And that you reach into our lives and if we surrender to you and follow you over the course of our lifetime, you transform us. You lead us to where you want us to be. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you will show us where our sin is hiding. For those of us who grew up in church, whose sin hides behind rules and moral living and putting money in the offering plate and serving and volunteering and going to church, for those of us whose sin hides in those places, God, that you would show us where we need to grow, who we need to be, and where we need Jesus. We all need you. In Jesus' name, amen.